Prayer is conversation with God. Say that with me. Prayer is conversation with God. And this isn't just any God. This is not a small G God. This is the God. Prayer is conversation with God for the Christian. Jesus said in John 14, no one comes to me except, no one comes to the Father except through me. We look at that in salvation, but it's true through prayer for the believer. Prayer for billions of people, rather than Christians, we come with a conversation with God. For prayer for billions of people is a conversation with a small g God of many choices. And billions today will pray billions of prayers that frankly are useless because the God they pray to doesn't exist. And that breaks my heart. It's sad, isn't it? As believers in Christ, we are not wasting our time when we go to the throne room of heaven. We connect because we have relationship. In Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us his disciples, and us how to pray. We call this the Lord's Prayer, but it's actually the pattern for us to pray. I want you to remember that when Jesus prayed, miracles happened. I think he gives us some instruction about how to have power when we pray. Look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 6, and I want to look at verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room when you have shut your door, Pray to your Father who is in direct, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard of their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father, catch this phrase, knows the things you have need of when? Before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, because God knows that prayer, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Listen to what Jesus said after the pattern to pray. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I want you to know that one of the greatest parts of the power of prayer, it's all because we are rightly related to God our Father. Jesus is not giving us a ritual to repeat so it will become a tradition, although I love to pray what we call the Lord's Prayer. But Jesus gave us in this prayer an outline of things that we should include. And Jesus gives us in this prayer everything God desires us to cover in our relationship in prayer. We are not without good, solid instruction. So I want to give you five things this morning that will give us power in prayer. Five things that will give us power in prayer. First of all, I want you to know we have power when God is loved for who he really, genuinely is. 
and that is a father. I want you to look at verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Ladies and gentlemen, God's greatest love in all creation and in all the universe is not lands and planets and, and stars and gold and silver. God's greatest love in all creation is people. You and me and the billions that are here and have been and will be. We go back to the book of beginnings in Genesis, Adam and Eve. He said to them, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. And the reason behind that was simply this. God loves people and God loves children. And Satan came to destroy, watch this, Adam's concept of God. And it's still try, he's still trying to sell this generation the same bill of goods he tried to sell Adam and Eve. He, he tries to tell us that God is evil or against us. The cross in the New Testament that we understand became the price for our freedom. You know what it really, the reason for it was? It was God trying to reestablish his relationship of him being father to us. Because we were born into sin. We were born into iniquity. All of sin had come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. No one taught you how to steal. No one taught you how to lie. No one taught you how to deceive. You came by it by fallen nature. And our world thinks that men, when we come into this world, are basically good. But the scripture says we're basically evil. That's why we need a relationship with God. And Satan keeps trying to convince this society that God is against us. And God as a father, he loves his kids so much that he died for all of his children. And God loves it. Can I tell you greatly, he loves it when his born-again children in prayer call him father. Yes, he is God. Yes, he is Jehovah. Yes, he is Yahweh, Elohim, and so many names that we know in covenant names through the Old Testament. But I want to tell you something. God is a father, and he wants to have a father and relationship with every one of us. Mom, dads, parents, we know how it feels. We, we understand something about this. Don't you just love it when your baby's born and there's nothing softer and nothing more sweet than an innocent baby? And you just, you take them and you love them and you hug them and you embrace them. You kiss them and you buy them things and you do all that and you have that relationship with them. But I'm here to tell you something. Grandchildren are different. They set us up. <laughs> they will set you up. I, I've learned from, from mine. They, they, they know when their chances are really good to work you. Because you may have been stern on the kids, and you may paddle the backside to get the message from the bottom to the top, but I want to tell you something. Grandkids take all the iron out of you, and you just become mush as a grandparent. You, you that don't have grandkids yet, you don't understand that. I'm telling you, they're different, and they know how to, they, they, they know your weaknesses. I'll never forget, I call her Aggie. 
one Christmas, I may have told you this before, I was shopping, and, and we were, my wife and I had me at some store in the mall, I don't know, and, and she was out over shopping, and Ashley came to me. I think she was, I think she was four maybe, I, I don't know, something like that. And she stayed with me because we had gone to the little girl's dress department. And I'm telling you, she came up, she said, Poppy, Poppy, can I have this dress for Christmas? And it was a beautiful little dress. And I said, well, what? hey, what do you mean? She said, I want this for Christmas. Can you buy it for me for Christmas? And I'm going, are you kidding me? We're supposed to do this in secret. I'm supposed to wrap it and give it to you. And you're supposed to all be surprised about it. And she kept saying, but I said, well, we don't know. You know, maybe, Paul, maybe Santa Claus, as we use it, maybe he could give it to you for Christmas. If I did, I was going to get her out of there and buy it so she wouldn't know it and have the gift like that. But she kept on saying, well, can I have it or not? Are you going to do this or not? And I went, well, at about the time I started answering, she said, are you going to do this or not? Because, my, because Nina told me if, if you buy me this one, she'll buy me this one. <laughs> Grandkids, they're different. Pray for us. <laughs> And watch this. Jesus said, if being evil, you know, evil parents, we, parent, we people who are prone to sin, if we know how to give good gifts, how much more does our heavenly Father give us good things? He's simply saying, Father gives us credence. It gives us a hearing power, if you will, when we pray. I want to look at Matthew 6. I want to look at verse 25. Just follow with me. I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. I want to share with you, if you read this in its context, Luke is talking about Jesus is speaking about wealth or blessings. And he's talking about taking care of material things. So watch him. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Here's the question. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothed the grass in the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, watch this statement, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Things. Here's God's instruction. Power in prayer is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Nobody else can make you that kind of a guarantee. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a powerful word from the Lord. It's all in a relationship of, of God and child. Jesus teaches us that God is a dad. 
Jesus teaches us because Satan tries to convince us, as I said, with Adam and Eve, Satan has this world thinking God's a tyrant, that he's too demanding, that he's too difficult. He's a destroyer. And yet Jesus says, we're twice born, run to him. If it, how would that be possible, ladies and gentlemen, if God were not a loving father? This word hallowed, I want to show you two things about it. First of all, pray, it means praise and honor be to your name, Lord. It means praise and honor for who you are. And that is right, and that is usually our concept. We hallow the name of God. We glorify the name of God. Psalm 100 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, for the Lord is good. In another place, when we come to God, we must believe that he is and that he is what? A rewarder, a good God. We have to come in that concept. He is holy. He is pure. He is righteous. His mercy is everlasting. He is glorified. That's the hallowed name of God. But this hallowed means something else too. It means this, purify your name to me. And I don't want you to miss this. Young people wish I'd have known this when I were a teenager. It, it, it's saying something like this, Lord, in whatever ways my earthly father may have failed me and given me a wrong concept of you, God, please purify my idea of you in my heart and my mind. Our world is riddled with young people and adults who were so wrongly treated, even abused by their earthly fathers who fail to understand anything about the Lord, who have wrestled for decades with all the pain and the agony and the turmoil and the misery and things that go on in their lives and in their minds and in their spirits, and it seems like Satan ensnares them almost beyond help. But we come to God and we say, God, hallowed your name. It's saying this, Lord, I admit that I need help in seeing you for who you really are, Lord, and that you are really a father. Lord, the window through which I see you has been splattered and muddied and skewed. Wash the windshield through which I see you, Lord, and use me to help others see you as you really are. And I want to stay there a minute because one of our biggest assignments is not always asking, Lord, for what I can receive. One of our biggest assignments is this, Lord, let me so trust in you and live in you that I really live the image of your face and what you really are to a generation who is strung out in darkness and blindness and they really need to see who and what you really First thing God did after Israel crossed the Red Sea, he revealed himself to Moses, if you remember. And Israel, after a couple of days or so, got thirsty. And how many of you, we sometimes look at Scripture and we, we forget they're human. There's some three million, two and a half million people here. Israel crossed that Red Sea. And when they got thirsty, they got grumpy. Have you ever known anybody that got grumpy? No, surely not. Grouchy? How many of you ever known a grouch in your life? Come on, how many of you know a grouch? How many of you are married to one? No, 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 no. 
I love this. I've said it. Some of you know this. You know what it takes to be an old grouch? A young grouch. That's what it takes. And some people just want to be grouchy. Here's Israel, three, three million people, and, and, and they get grumpy. So God spoke to Moses, the leader, and he said, see this rock. I want you to speak to this rock. I will cause water to come out of it. I want you to strike it one time. I want us to understand, here's a rock. Moses, the leader, is supposed to strike it one time. And God said, I'm going to pour water out of it. Don't miss this. This isn't for just 10 people. This is two and a half to three million people. This isn't just a trickle or a fountain. This is a river. And in 1 Corinthians 10 and 4, the scripture tells us, Paul to the Corinthians said, he tells us that that rock was Jesus because he supplies everything both spiritual and human, that the human being longs for and must have. And out of Christ will be all of our supply. And three million thirsty, grumpy, grouchy people made Moses angry. And just a fact, he scolded the people and he struck that rock in anger. He struck it in anger. Knowing the New Testament that that rock represented Christ and he struck it in anger. Ladies and gentlemen, God spoke to Moses alone and he said, watch this, you will not go to the promised land. You did not hallow me in the eyes of Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Moses. This is Moses. Moses, you did not give this people a genuine expression and picture of me. God intended Moses to hallow him to Israel. And God intended Israel to hallow him and present him to the world. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, after these thousands of years, God's plan has not changed. God's plan for you and me is to hallow him, represent him in a right way to this generation. It started with Moses to Israel. So let me make an assignment. Mom and dad, parents, just because you can produce children doesn't really mean that you're a good father and mother. I know that shouts me down. Parents, your job, your job when you have your children is to hallow God to your children. Amen. Believers, young people, mom and dad, college students, wherever you are, when you're at school, if you're on the campus, when you're on the job, when you're in the restaurant, when you're in the house, you are not there to represent yourself. You are there to represent God. But he must be represented in a true expression. And we begin our prayer, Father, hallowed be your name. Not only the glory, but may I hallow it and understand that you are my Father. Second to have power in prayer is this, when God is trusted because of his love for us. I want to read verses 10 and 11. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Your kingdom, Lord, your will is saying this. I submit. I let your authority come into my life. The prayer goes, let me desire your will to be done in my life so perfectly that you, Lord, will be exalted. And then it goes on and says, give me provision. And we divide it. Listen to it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we draw a separation and say, God, give us this day our daily bread. I want to tell you that the two are connected. His will, our provision. So let me, let me be very blunt this morning. God will not finance our will. God will not make provision for our will. God will support and finance our submission to provide for us. The important thing is this. God, I believe you genuinely, absolutely, without reservation, unconditionally love me. I believe you have a good plan for my life. So I will just Trust you in your absolute unconditional love. I will trust you. I will trust your way, not my way. Many times our prayers are trying to get God to do things our way. We, we decide what we want. We decide where we want to go, what we want to do. And we decide all that and say, okay, God, I want you to do this. And, and what we want may be right, but we suddenly, we may not even say it, but subconsciously we will say, Lord, I want this, and this is how I want it, when I want it, where I want it. And we preconceive all that. I know I'm the only one that's ever done that. Okay. <laughs> I read one commentary, the guy said, when we try to get God to do what we want him to, when and where and the way we want to, it's saying to a flea, push a train. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm going to read it. You know it, but I want you to say this with me. God is for me. Ready? God is for me. Say it again. Say it again. Because our world is filled with the opposite message. And we hear that so often. We decide that we're not going to trust God. We're going to trust ourselves. We're not really going to believe God loves us. We're going to believe that we have to keep measuring to do things for him. And we become disobedient and wonder why God doesn't bless us. But I want to tell you what God thinks of us. God is for us. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Say with me, God is for me. Say it. Say it again. Say it one more time. Ladies and gentlemen, if we can 
there's never a time where God is going to be against you. If you will let him have his way and you will be obedient to his directions, I'm going to declare you a promise God has made. Your desires will come true. Pastor, how can you make that statement? If, if I let him have his way, if I'm obedient to what he says for me to do in my life, with my time, my treasure, my talent, my thoughts, everything about my life, if I will trust him with that, I'm going to make you this guarantee. He will cause your desires to come true. Pastor, how, how can you say that? Let me tell you why. Because the scripture shares with us that if we will seek him first, he will give us the desires of our heart. Wait a minute. Doesn't mean he's going to give me a new Corvette, which I think I can handle pretty good. That's not what he's talking about, desires of your heart. What he's talking about is this. If you truly are after his will, if you truly submit, if you truly believe his plan for you is better than your plan, if you truly believe he loves you to the nth degree, he will put his desires in your heart so that you desire the things he wants for your life. And he says, if you submit to that, I will guarantee you those dreams will come true. Amen. Wow. Your kingdom come. I, I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. God never takes away from life. God adds to life. God adds to life. He won't take all the fun away. Are you kidding? God has a great sense of humor, doesn't he? Your kingdom come. It's saying, here's our prayer. Please listen to this. And I want you to understand it. Teenagers, parents, listen to this. Our prayer is, Lord, I don't love me as much as you do. You know why? Because we can't even love ourselves unconditionally. We cannot. We don't have that capacity. Now, we can be selfish, but ladies and gentlemen, selfish sometimes can't act unconditionally. So what we say is this, Lord, I don't love me as much as you do. But Lord, when you bless me, I know that I am truly blessed. And when we believe that, when we believe that because of the blood of Christ, God is for us and he gives us this prayer instruction, when we believe that, we will pray, your kingdom, Lord, I totally Trust in your love for me. God, ladies and gentlemen, loves to be trusted. If you want power in prayer, trust God. Trust God. Moses finally learned to trust God. Thirdly, have prayer power when we relate to God and to others based on grace. Let's read it again in verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I, I'm just going to warn you now that I'm, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to make me and us uncomfortable. Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Two things that I want to bring up. 
two things that keep our prayers ineffective. Legalism and condemnation. Legalism are the rules of how to relate to God based on my merit. If I do this, 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 and there are millions of people today who will take six months of their salary in a foreign field and go buy birds with it or buy bananas and buy food or buy gold mache and put it on a concrete God, ladies and gentlemen, six months of their salary. Because they feel like they're involved, they're involved in a legalistic concept that I must obey the gods or I'll be destroyed. And I've seen them in foreign lands by the hundreds. Some people, because they, like the Pharisees, because they dotted every I, so to speak, and crossed every T, they actually believe that they are good enough to relate to God based on religious performance. They believe that. But, but the other extreme is this, and this is probably where most of us have a battle with Satan. It's called condemnation. Condemnation says something like this. I know I've failed. I know I've tried. I know this. God, I tried it, but it didn't happen. Lord, I did this or I did that. God, I failed it. Condemnation goes to all those questions. But condemnation will say, Lord, I've sinned. I've made a mistake. I've tried and tried. There's no use. And I'm not good enough to relate to the God of holiness and the God of glory. But I want to share something with you. Jesus in his prayer says, the truth is this. God is a God of mercy and grace. And he's a good God. And I could never, I could never, I could never do enough to merit his forgiveness. It's not about whether I'm worthy. It's not about whether I'm worthy. It's the fact that Jesus died and the fact that his mercy extends to me grace. Do, I can't do enough. Legalism, ladies and gentlemen, is a lie. Condemnation for the child of God is a lie. So I want to say, praise the Lord. I can have a perfect relationship with God based upon the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm a debtor and I have no way to pay. I have no way to justify myself. All I can do is come to you, God, in my failure time and again. And I can appeal to your mercy and you will give me grace. And then I'm not under condemnation because Christ's blood has paid the price for my sin. So I plead mercy and I receive grace for myself. But watch this. I plead mercy. I receive grace for myself. And with it comes an attitude of grace and mercy toward others. And we like to separate that, but it won't be done. Ladies and gentlemen, the only part of this prayer that Jesus repeated in the Lord's Prayer, we call it, was the word forgiveness. I want to say it another way. It's this. If you want, if you won't give grace, if you will not give mercy, if you will not forgive those who have wronged you, and you may be right and they may have been awful. Here's our problem. We want to use 
I've said it so many times. We want to use forgiveness as a reward. Let me pick on Steve because he needs to be picked on. Amen. Oh, Steve hurt my feelings. He said something. He did something. He's the lowest scoundrel I've ever known in my life. And he messed me up. And Jesus said, you're supposed to forgive him, so let this represent forgiveness. You know what we do with it? We use it as an award, a trophy. When we won't forgive, when we're full of bitterness, what we're saying is this. Lord, I know I'm under mandate to do that. And I will when he admits he's wrong. Or when he comes and admits he's hurt me. I want him to admit his, name it. And then I'll give it to him as a reward. That's not forgiveness. It's almost vengeance. Here's what God says. And here's what Jesus did for us. That rascal over there don't deserve it. He has treated me awful, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But out of the depths of my soul, I'm going to choose. I'm going to hand you forgiveness. I'm going to give it to you. And whatever he does with this between him and the Lord, and I've just turned it over between him and the Lord, but as for me and my soul and my spirit and my body, my attitude becomes grace and mercy toward all the Steve Stucks in my life. Listen to me. If you will not give grace and forgiveness, give it, not hold it. If you will not give it, I'm going to tell you something. It poisons and ruins your personality. And you can't possibly cover the first word, the second sentence, hallow your name. You cannot possibly hallow the name of God in glory and honor and purity and holiness in a true way. You have gall in you and you do not produce God and you are not seen as, a, as it producing a picture for God in this generation. Whew. I know that went over like a pork chop in the synagogue. <laughs> you love God? Oh yes, I love God. Any unforgiveness or bitterness left in your heart? How in the world, ladies and gentlemen, do we think we can hollow, hallow God to others when we're full of bitterness and unforgiveness? We cannot. Here's another way to say it, and, and I want to tell you, there's no sugar on this pill. <laughs> if you've been holding grudges against someone for weeks and months and years, your sins have not been forgiven for that long. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It got quiet in here. Have you lost your salvation? That's between you and the Lord. But I'll tell you this, he loves you. He loves you beyond supreme. But I will tell you, if you have bitterness in your heart and unforgiveness in your heart, you're not in an intimate relationship with God. 
If his will is not first and your obedience to him is not first, you're not in a right relationship with God. Ladies and gentlemen, we do not deserve the grace of God. And perhaps others don't deserve grace from us. But I want to tell you this. Hear me. We don't deserve God's grace. And maybe those who hurt us don't deserve our grace. But I want to tell you something about them. They may have treated you badly, and it may be a tough thing, but listen. They haven't put you on a cross. But that's what we did to Jesus. Not the Jews, not the Roman soldiers, but my sin and your sin put Jesus on that cross. Mom, Dad, ladies and gentlemen, if we are to have power in our prayer, it must be by His grace to us and our grace to others. Power. Fourthly, I got to move. When he, we have power in prayer when we understand relational protection. This is called companionship. Verse 13a, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want you to pay attention to that verse of Scripture because we misinterpret it so badly. Let me read it again. Do not lead us into temptation. It appears the way we construe that in our minds, the way we, we put that together usually is like this. This is how, let me go back to saying God is for you. Satan will always try to tell you God's always against you. And you can never be holy. And in our own, we cannot be. But this is the prayer. We think, God, I know you want to allow me to be tempted, but Lord, please don't. <laughs> Lead us not into temptation. I want to declare to you, God never leads you into temptation. I could give you scripture, you know them. It's not God, it is the men going to temptation, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's all a satanic thing. How many of people assign all that to God rather than the enemy? What he's saying here is this. Let me paraphrase it. Lord, as I walk closely with you today, God, give me strength to overcome whatever the enemy throws at me. Because he's going to come and he's going to tempt me. He's going to try to take my spiritual feet out from under me all the time. Lord, as I walk with you and I keep you in first place, Lord, you give me power to overcome whatever he brings my way. It goes on to say in our prayer, Lord, I want to walk with you today because, Lord, you are my companion. You are my protection. Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is for me. He is with me. He is not trying to take my life apart. Ladies and gentlemen, God also will not be abused. In our day and time, there are so many who glibly use prayer and things today and spiritual things, and, and they, they go to questionable places and do questionable things. And I... 
If you're guilty, please don't hate me. I'm just going to tell you. We, we have Christians today who will say, Lord, help me win the sweepstakes or the lottery. Can I tell you that's not dependence upon God? <laughs> Maybe I need an altar call right now. <laughs> I want to tell you something. God's not going to be used as a Santa Claus or a good luck charm. God doesn't like to be visited on Sunday and ditched all the rest of the week. He wants that relationship. He wants that companionship. God cherishes companionship with you. God wants to be one with you 24-7. I want to share with you, ladies and gentlemen, I don't trust in luck. I don't even believe in luck. I believe in the Father, and I believe He loves me, and I believe He's for me. He's not a Santa Claus. He's my Father who will withhold nothing from me if I walk upright before Him. <laughs> Number five. We have power in prayer when we acknowledge complete dependence upon him. Verse 13b, look at this. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. There's probably nothing, I don't think, more pathetic than watching someone who builds their own kingdom by their own power for their own glory. A few years ago, I watched it. It's a pathetic scene. Young people understand this. It's just because something looks powerful and because it has a lot of money and because it has a loud voice and because everything looks wonderful, don't you dare let Satan cause you to be jealous about that because most of that is a facade. I'm going to take you back a few years. Some of you may be pretty young about it. But Saddam Hussein, ladies and gentlemen... I'll never forget the scene of his capture. Here's a man who built wealth and castles and had millions and millions and billions of dollars. Suddenly, after we went in there and set those people free from this monstrous dictator who had killed multiple 300 plus thousand people for his own gain. We finally found him. How many of you saw it on television? We pulled him out of a hole in the ground. His hair was all matted. He was dirty. And he had nine million American dollars in a sack with him. But I want to declare to you, suddenly he has nothing. Suddenly he was nothing. Complete dependence upon God. I want to tell you something. I love America. I have served my country in her military. And my heart breaks for her today. Pastor, would you fight again? Would you give your life for your country? I have to say I would. Because I believe in its values. But I want to share with you something, ladies and gentlemen. The United States of America in all of its glory is still temporal. Only, there's only one eternal kingdom. And I want us to pray this morning, Lord, my power is limited. I do not deserve the glory. I will not do what I do today for myself. But you, Lord, are my strength. You, Lord, are my life. You, Lord, are my source. And I will hallow you. I will obey you. 
I will go where you say go. I will give what you say give. I will do what you say do. I will think what you say think. I will pray what you tell me to pray. And I will hallow your name. And I will hallow you to this needy, blind, dark world in a true expression of who you really are. I don't need a kingdom. I don't have a kingdom. I don't have the power. I don't deserve the glory. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're going to have power in our prayer, it will be by loving him for who he is. Trusting his plan for our own life. Relating to him, to others, through grace as he gives it to us. Walking in companionship with him and completely dependent upon him. Let us pray a prayer, Lord. Use me for your kingdom, for your power, and for your glory. And we will have power.